The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. In November, you, the congregation, approved the elder recommendation that I become the pastor for preaching and vision here. And I said at that time that I would use this sermon, this slot, December 26th, to speak to you as your newly appointed pastor. The context was in the interim period, we had already set the plan all the way through through, uh, Advent, and I didn't want to change it. And so we just stuck with it. And then this is the this is the time now, and I thought I'd, I'd speak as the newly appointed pastor. Often when a, a new pastor begins, uh, and he's new to the congregation, especially if he's from outside, there's some idealism that comes attached to him. Like, he's, he's not going to be like our last pastor. He's going to be perfect. All the shortcomings of our last pastor, he's just, he's, he's like Jesus, you know? And, and <laughs> that's the advantage of coming in from outside, which I don't have because I've been here for 23 years. So you know me, you know that I am not a, a perfect pastor. You know, you know, you've worked with me and yet you still approve me into this role. And so I thank you for your graciousness and kindness. And, uh, and thank you for your prayers for me and for Kathy and our whole family. And I ask you to continue to, to pray for us. So thank you. This morning, <laughs> it doesn't just feel like I'm doing this. I'm preaching my own installation sermon. <laughs> Which it's like if you were to ask me to, to come and speak to you know one of our seminary graduates as they began a new pastorate somewhere, you know what would I say to them at such a time as this? I'd say Second Timothy two. That's what I would say. And uh, so it's a it's a little awkward. Um, so I'll approach this text ad- addressed to Timothy as applying to me, and yet not merely to me, but to all the elders. And really, there's application and implications for all believers uh, in the discharge of whatever leadership we have, and also as we aim to live faithful to the gospel in the context of our sufferings. So I think there's application all over the place. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word to us. And this word, which I couldn't lop off, but had to embrace the whole of chapter two. I pray that you help us now to to hear what you're saying to us, to me, to the elders, to, to Bethlehem through this text. Make it clear for the glory of your name and our joy and the good of the neighborhoods and the nations. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So a little background, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy from prison in Rome. Timothy was in Ephesus where he had been for several years. And and you know the relationship that Paul has with Timothy. Timothy is a a beloved son in the faith and a a faithful partner in the gospel ministry. False teaching had been gaining ground and popularity. And so Paul writes Timothy with this great concern that the apostolic gospel of Christ would be preserved. So if you look back in the previous chapter, chapter 1, Paul charges Timothy in verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the pattern of sound words, the, the good deposit, I am understanding to be the apostolic teaching of the gospel of Christ. Guard it, preserve it, follow that pattern. And then very specifically, from Paul's prison cell, he, he had said this. Go back up to verse 8 in chapter 1. That it's going to involve suffering. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in sufferings, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So with that as the context, the question in my mind is, how might I, along with the elders, guard the gospel while sharing in our part of suffering by the power of God? That's my question. And, and my answer, I'll give you my outline. This, this chapter is just loaded with commands, loaded with imperatives. Um, but I don't know why I told you that. It's not going to help you understand the outline. My outline is, is three points, and the third point has six points under it. So here, here it is. The, the three basic commands that I'm highlighting. Be strengthened by the grace of Christ, number one. Number two, entrust the apostolic teaching to faithful men. And then number three, Share in suffering for the gospel. And underneath that, Paul has four metaphors. I didn't say that right. Paul has six metaphors. Underneath point number three, Paul has six metaphors of what that looks like. Share in suffering for the gospel. Six metaphors that we'll look at. So, point number one. In answer to the question, how might I... Pastor here at Bethlehem, along with the elders at Bethlehem, guard the gospel while sharing in our part of suffering for the gospel of Christ. Number one, be strengthened by the grace of Christ. See it there in verse one, chapter two. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, as we live by faith, uh, in the Son of God, trusting His grace for us, as we trusted in God's grace to be saved, as we trust in God's grace for our sanctification, so also we must trust, rely on God's grace as pastors and leaders. Um, apart from grace, we do not have the ability to serve as ministers of the gospel. We must die to any delusions that we, we've got this. I hear that in, in young church planters. I've got this. And I think you don't have this. Who is sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency is in Christ. And so be strengthened by the grace of Christ. It tells us at least two things. We don't have it. We don't have the ability to pastor, shepherd, lead, feed, care, protect this church apart from God's grace. So number two, be strengthened by God's grace. The, the, the tense of the verb there is, is super cool. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a present passive imperative, present tense, ongoing passive, let it be done to you. You don't do it. Imperative, command. Be strengthened by 
the grace that is in Christ Jesus, present tense. It's ongoing. It happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, it's, it's like the verb, uh, um, be filled with the Spirit. The tense is the same. Be being filled with the Spirit over and over again. Be strengthened by grace over and over and over again, Kenny and pastors and elders. So it's rooted in God's pardon for us in Christ, in the gospel, forgiven of our sins. And yet here the grace that we're called to rely on is the grace of power, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. His power made perfect in our weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's an enabling grace based on God's forgiving grace to us in Christ. God loves. He delights to show mercy and grace to humble people, humble leaders who rely on him for faith and wisdom and unity and peace and, and uh, power to lead and to do what he calls us to do. So that's, the, that's point number one. Be strengthened by the grace of Christ. Number two, entrust the apostolic teaching to faithful men. Verse two, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, as your pastor, along with the pastors and elders here, we must give ourselves to the development of potential pastors, teachers, and elders who, who, will, who are able to teach. We must give ourselves to, the, to this ministry of equipping faithful men because the Bible teaches that men who meet biblical qualifications are to be appointed as elders of the church. Some people think that's abusive today. We take the Bible for its plain meaning here and its teaching about elders and we receive it and we ought to, we need to, in this season of, of uh, replanting Bethlehem, we must make sure that we are entrusting the gospel, the apostolic teaching, to faithful men who can teach others also. And that's not to say that we don't disciple everyone, all men, all women, all children, but it does say that in all of our discipleship, we have an eye for discipling faithful men who might rise up to pastoral and elder leadership to proclaim and protect the gospel for years and years to come. Also on this, I, I thought of it this way. You know, in our, in our present cultural moment, resentment and rebellion toward authority is high. Suspicion is high. Scorn is high. If someone has authority, it means somebody doesn't. And in our cultural moment, that seems bad. Here's the thing about authority in the church. Not only does God give us authority in various settings, in the family, 
authority of the government, authority in the church. Here's the thing about authority in the church. All authority in the church belongs to Christ Jesus. He's head of the church. So whatever authority we have is subordinate to his authority. And not only that, he's given us his authoritative word to all of us. So so we exert our authority by being faithful to the authoritative word. If If we're leading in directions that don't accord with the Bible, our Constitution says you are to test our teaching by the Bible. So our authority is subordinate under Christ, subordinate under the Bible. And here's another thing about about authority in the church. Ours, at least this is how I've been thinking about it lately. You know, the authority of pastors and elders is not something that we hoard. I've got it, you don't. But think about it. Um, as, as As we... teach and admonish one another. We are spreading biblical authority around. And so, so Sunday school teachers have biblical authority and, and small group leaders have, have a charge to be faithful to the authority of the Bible. And, and um, faithful men, we're, 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 we're multiplying, you know, good night in a church that, that continues to add elders. There is not a constant, you know, a, a hoarding of elders, holding, hoarding of Authority, it's like, good night, faithful men. Let's bring them in and let's, let's share authority Amen. as we shepherd this church with a plur- plurality whereby we can sand off one another's rough edges and uh, exert our responsibility over the church with wisdom and with grace. So it's just, it's, it's not like a dictator. Dictators don't give away authority. They, they fight. <laughs> no, I think the whole dynamic is sharing biblical authority under Christ. So there's the New Testament leadership development plan in a nutshell. Entrust the gospel to faithful men even as you labor, teaching everything one with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Number three, share in suffering for the gospel. Interesting, it lands on me. Um, So if I'm at at the installation of another guy, (laughs) let's say it's you, share in suffering for the gospel. I'd like to look him in the eye, but I can't look at myself in the eye. Um, Share in suffering for the gospel. There it is, verse 3. The apostle Paul suffered much. You know, so when, when he's saying this, he's not blowing smoke. Flogged five times, beaten with rods, stoned, Face danger from natural calamities, danger from robbers, danger from false brothers. In chapter 1, he mentions being abandoned by gospel ministry partners. Chapter 1, verse 15, all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, 
2 Timothy verse 10, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Then in verse 14, and he names this man, Alexander the coppersmith, as an outright opponent of the gospel. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So Paul wants to strengthen Timothy so that he does not crash and burn and walk away from the ministry of the gospel due to suffering. These words words here are to be means of grace to strengthen him. Last month, Christianity Today did an article on a recent Barna research report on pastors. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from that Christianity Today article. As the pandemic has gone on, burnout continues to take its toll on church leaders. With pastors' well-being on the line and many pastors on the brink of burnout, 38% indicate that they have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year, up nine full points from January. So you get it, 29% of pastors were considering quitting in January. It's moved to 38% when the more recent poll was taken in October. The article continues... All the chaos, all the pressure, all the magnifying glass of social media, the pandemic, the politics, the hyper-digital context, it makes sense that you have a lot of pastors saying, is this really what I signed up for? Is this what I was called to? Paul would say, yes, it is. Interesting, isn't it? Paul would say, right on. And then, remember, writing from prison where he will be executed in Rome, Paul commands Timothy to share in this suffering for the gospel. And he does so with these three, excuse me, with these six metaphors. It's three and then a little gap and then three more. So, So we're going to look at the six metaphors. Uh, Six metaphors about how to suffer as a faithful minister of the gospel, faithful servant of the gospel, faithful pastor, faithful leader, faithful believer. Six metaphors. Metaphor number one, the dedicated soldier. Metaphor number one, the dedicated soldier. Suffer like a dedicated soldier. A good soldier's aim is to, according to verse four, to please the one who enlisted him. And so also, we as gospel leaders are to discipline ourselves, discipline our lives so that we not get absorbed in or distracted by Optional things, things that non-enlisted people would be involved in. 
Focus on pleasing Christ, your commanding officer. Endure suffering like a dedicated soldier who lives with focus and, and intentionality, all with an eye of receiving the, the approval, the commendation of his commanding officer. Metaphor number two. Verse five, Paul says, suffer like, like an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, the suffering Paul seems to have in mind there is something like the disciplines that athletes must exert to, to play by the rules, to undergo training, um, to, to, to compete without being disqualified. There's constraints on their, on their behavior. Training constraints, you know, here in our day, uh, you know, drug testing constraints. And then when the competition comes, rules of the game. Only the athlete who disciplines himself by the rules of the game will receive the prize. Suffer that way. <laughs> Suffer giving up things, putting up things <laughs> in order to get the prize. Be faithful. Live with a focus like an athlete. Metaphor number three, the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer. Verse six, Paul says, suffer like a farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think about it. Ministry like farming can entail long hours, laboring in preparation, sowing seed. Often, I mean, seeds don't usually sprout up as soon as they hit the ground. Setbacks like hail and insects and pestilence. Weeding, drought, all kinds of things, all kinds of unforeseen challenge, challenges. Suffer like a farmer who goes through all this, hardworking with an eye on the harvest yet to come. Side by thought, parent like a hardworking farmer. Yeah, with an eye on the harvest. Yet to come. Then, then here's this, this gap between the metaphors now. So we've seen three of them. Paul seems to be just, just jumping in like, get this in your minds now. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm in verse 8. Or excuse me, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then he goes to Jesus, and then he goes to himself. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's a suffering. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Here's how it lands on me. You know, I'm calling you to suffer with these, these, these three metaphors so far. Suffer like a dedicated soldier. Suffer like a law-abiding athlete. Suffer like a hard-working farmer. Remember Jesus. By his suffering, he accomplished our salvation. And Paul says, and remember me. Likewise, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ. Gospel confidence that God is at work in our sufferings is crystal clear in that paragraph to me. I mean, it's clear in the illusions of harvest, the hope, hope in, in all the other illustrations. Crystal clear, gospel hope, count on it in all of our sufferings. God's at work for the glory of his name, the good of his people, the salvation of the lost. He's at work. Back to the metaphors now. Metaphor number four. The unashamed craftsman. The unashamed craftsman. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Pastors, elders, teachers, be diligent or zealous to rightly study and interpret and communicate and teach the word of truth. The, the, The word rightly handling there has its meaning in the word straight. And uh, this worker, the way I've thought of it is, this worker, this craftsman is charged to cut straight. (laughs) If you're making things with wood, you're building things, cut straight. You know, the pulpit won't hold together with crooked cuts. Rightly dividing the word of truth, cut straight. Uh, it's, it's the word from which we get the word orthodoxy, that our, our teaching would be right down the line, straight as an arrow, what it ought to be. Unashamed craftsmen. So we're called to preach and to teach. And I, I want to say you ought to expect to hear Bible out of your pastors and elders. You ought to expect Bible out of your small group leaders and Sunday school teachers. Uh, Let us, let us, I mean, Paul warns, this is 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will uh, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, in some measures, that time has come. So let us us not be a people who mock and, and disdain the Bible when it's brought to bear on our current cultural issues, our current conflicts, our personal lives. He's bringing the Bible. What does that have to do with anything? What a dodge. Expect pastors, elders, teachers to bring Bible 
into our lives over and over and over again. That's our job. And to do otherwise would be turning away from the apostolic teaching, the gospel. Metaphor number five. Maybe he's just swapping these out. <laughs> the clean vessel. I, w- I would love to have six <laughs> little images of each one. You're like, let's pick up the clean vessel. The clean vessel. Suffer like that. Paul says, be holy. Pastor Kenny and elders, leaders, be holy. Set apart for God's purposes. And then he goes through this image of vessels in a household. Verse 19, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let us set ourselves apart. Uh, The word sanctify means set apart. Be be set apart for God's purposes. Set apart like, he goes to this this household, you know, there's there's, uh, there's vessels for for ennoble purposes and vessels for noble purposes. You know, I think about, okay, when when I think of um, vessels that we use to clean the bathroom and vessels that we set the table with on Christmas dinner that we eat with and they're beautiful glasses. We have beautiful glasses. And suffer like the fine china. Be like that. Set apart for noble purposes. Set apart for God's purposes and, and don't get caught up in, in sinful and wicked things that would mar your sanctification, your mar, mar your being set apart for God and for his uses. He goes on to say this, verse 22, so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So be a clean vessel, set apart for God's purposes, um, departing from iniquity. And this, uh, I love this, fleeing youthful passion, run from youthful passions, sinful pursuits, and run to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. And I'm very encouraged that Paul adds, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I'm not talking to you to do this alone. Gather with people who have a pure heart and together pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace and flee wickedness. Be a clean vessel. Very helpful to me. And third, Paul says, be a clean vessel and Steer clear of foolish controversies. Don't have anything to do with them. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Run from that. Be a clean vessel. Sixth metaphor. 
Verse 24. The Lord's servant. The Lord's servant. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This verse has been with me for a long time. When I, when I became a pastor 20, 20 years ago, over 30 years ago, I quickly, quickly realized that some people viewed me as their opponent. It, it's just like, boom. Uh, and some, some of them I knew and some, some that I didn't know, but uh, they saw me that way. Maybe it's doctrine, maybe it's person, personality. But may I distinctly remember saying, I, I think this person sees me as their opponent. These verses here have been like a compass for me, orienting me when, when facing opposition so that I would... It's like a guard on me so that I would act in accord with the gospel in suffering, in opposition. If you catch what I was just saying there. So um, there's a way to act as a pastor, leader, minister of the gospel, as a Christian that betrays the gospel and thereby doesn't guard it, undermines it. If I act... In opposition, I'm, I'm misrepresenting the Lord. I'll say it this way. I'll draw it out. If I'm quarrelsome, always looking for a fight. If I'm mean, if, if I quickly write people off, if I, I teach them harshly, I might have to admonish them, but if I teach with harshness and cruelty, if I stop seeking to biblically teach somebody, I, I'm, I'm just giving up on them. I'm not even going to bring a word to them. I failed to guard the gospel. I failed to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But if, but if I live in accord with this, the opposite is true. I guard the gospel. I, I, I proclaim the gospel by my reaction to the opposition and the suffering. I made up a little phrase. I do this from time to time. Like, so how am I going to remember this just really quickly? Be a kind, patient, gentle teacher who prays for those who oppose you. I've carried that around for 25 years. Be a kind, patient, gentle teacher who prays for those who oppose you. Let me do it a little more reflectively now. Think about it. Living responding to the suffering of opposition this way as the Lord's servant. Not representing myself. I belong to him. It's his house. I'm coming to the door to greet you. Welcome. Come on in. 
It's his house. May I not betray him to you. Well, what's he like? God is kind. And God is gracious. God instructs sinners in the way they should go. Sinners like you and me. And God is patient with us. Patient with us. Often correcting us with the light of his word, by the power of his spirit. Always correcting us with the light of his word and by the power of his spirit. With, with cords of loving kindness drawing us back to himself. Even when he disciplines us strongly, he disciplines us like a father for our good. And Christ is interceding for us. I've, I've enjoyed that the last few weeks. Christ is interceding for us, for our forgiveness and for the gift of repentance so that when we turn away from him, he prays for us that we would turn back to him. So, as the Lord's servant, may I also be a kind, patient, gentle teacher who prays for the repentance of those who oppose me, even as I pray for my own repentance. One of the interesting things that was clear to me a couple weeks ago is I can't make anybody repent, and you can't make me repent. It's like grasping at stuff we don't have the control knobs on. But God can. That's why. The Lord's servant is a kind, patient, gentle teacher who prays for the repentance of those who oppose him. Well, there it is. I had three commands to start with, followed by six metaphors. I'll just say them again, and I'm going to pray. How do I guard the gospel and embrace the suffering that comes with the calling. Number one, be strengthened by the grace of God to us in Christ. Number two, entrust the apostolic teaching to faithful men. Number three, share in suffering for the gospel by being like a dedicated soldier, like a law-abiding athlete, like a hard-working farmer, like an unashamed craftsman, like a clean vessel, and like the Lord's servant whose behavior and demeanor accords with the Lord. Father in heaven, make it so. Help us. Help us all. Help uh, me to live up to this text. Help the elders to live up to this calling as well. Help us all as believers in Christ to live up to this, the implications of this beautiful text about the gospel and your faithfulness to us in suffering and how we might live in accord with all that you promised to be for us in Christ Jesus. No matter how hard our sufferings get, whether they be personal or physical, family or church, whatever, grant us grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.